Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before we start the episode, I want to share one quick thing. So I know you've heard me talk a little bit about the fact that I'm writing a book, and this time it's with a publisher. One of the things I thought it would be really fun and interesting to do is to build an unmistakable book launch street team. I'd love to get you involved and hear your ideas on how we could spread the message of the book and build a more unmistakable universe. If you're interested, visit unmistakablecreative.com slash launch team and send us a quick note with your ideas and why you want to be involved. Now, let's get to the episode. In this episode, Soma Water Filter Mike Del Ponte shares his story of how a light bulb moment lit the spark for starting his company and the essential questions we have to ask in order to discover our calling. Mike, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Clay Haybear, who has been a continual referring sor- referral source for amazing guests to the show. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, your journey, your background, and how that's brought you to everything that you're up to in the world today? Yeah, happy to. So uh, I'm based here in San Francisco. I co-founded a company called Soma, which makes sustainable and beautiful water filters. If you're familiar with a Brita water filter, it's an upgraded version of that that is not only beautifully designed and sustainable, but for every filter that you purchase, you're also helping to donate clean drinking water to someone in need. And um, I'm actually from the Bay Area, which is fairly rare for those of us who now live in San Francisco. Grew up outside of the city, and uh, basically, when I was young, um, I had one goal, which was to make a lot of money. And the way that I assumed you do that is that you get into a good college and then you get a good job and then you make a lot of money. And um, so I did everything that a young person does to get into a good college. And I was fortunate and got accepted to a few. Um, but unfortunately, my senior year, I uh, found out that there was no way I could afford any of these schools. I only applied to private schools on the East Coast. I didn't get the financial aid that I anticipated. And so I was really crushed. I was depressed. And I just felt like, um, you know, I'd worked so hard. And uh, it was unfair that I wasn't able to fulfill my dream of going to a great college so I could get a great job and make a lot of money. Fortunately, one day as I was driving to the library to study, I was backing out of my driveway and I looked over to the right and I saw my mailbox was filled with mail. 
So I parked my car, I walked around, grabbed all the mail, got back in the car, threw the mail in the passenger seat next to me, and uh, next to me was a big envelope. And uh, as any senior in high school knows, a big envelope is something that's good. And so I teared open the envelope, I pulled out a letter, and it said, congratulations, you just won the Buck Scholarship, which is a very small and not always the best known scholarship. But I knew in that moment that it was changing my life forever because that scholarship actually pays for essentially your entire life while you're in higher education, undergrad and grad. So tuition, books, computers, food, rent, um, study abroad, plane tickets, school supplies, pretty much everything. And so not only did that allow me to uh, go to college, but it really freed me up to start thinking outside the box. And one of the first things they told me when I arrived at Boston College was, we're not here to help you find a job, we're here to help you find your calling which really blew my mind and, and completely flip-flopped my perception of the importance of making money. And from that moment on, I really started to think about what is my calling. And one of the professors at Boston College said, if you want to find your calling, there's really three questions you have to ask. What am I best at? What brings me joy? And what does the world need? And so I spent a number of years pondering those questions and trying different experiences, most of which were focused on having a positive impact on the world, like uh, volunteering in India, being a microfinance consultant in Nepal, uh, working at an orphanage in Jamaica, doing peacekeeping work in the West Bank. And uh, ultimately, I, I came back to the idea that I thought that perhaps um, the best way I could really contribute to the world was to become a Catholic priest. And uh, so I ended up going to divinity school at Yale. And while I was there, um, I started discerning the priesthood. And um, I, one, realized that wow, that's a very noble thing to do. It wasn't particularly what I was best at or what gave me joy. Um, but I did finish my master's there. And what I did, I started helping all these young social entrepreneurs who wanted to start businesses. And uh, that turned into a global nonprofit that I ran called Sparkseed. And so we helped launch uh, social ventures all over the world, different businesses that gave back. I moved back to Silicon Valley in 2008, height of the recession, and uh, really learned most of the skills that I have now because there was no money to be had and my job was to raise it. And uh, so I, I ran uh, Sparkseed for a few years, then we merged that with another nonprofit. And while I was doing that, I kind of went back to those three questions and, and I said, am I, you know, am I fulfilled and how can I have the biggest impact on the world? And I was watching my friends launch these tech companies and just growing like crazy. So I decided to become one of the first employees at a, a tech company uh, called Branch Out which was essentially like LinkedIn on Facebook, grew from zero to 50 employees in one year, raised $50 million in venture capital, acquired 30 million users in about 18 months, and, uh, and I was uh, head of marketing there. So uh, great learning experience, learned from an awesome CEO, um, and at one point I kind of got that itch to go do my own thing and follow my calling. And uh, so one night I was hosting a dinner party at my house in San Francisco and a friend asked me for a glass of water. And so I went into my kitchen, I opened my fridge, I reached in and I grabbed my Brita water pitcher and I looked down at it and I was like, there's no way I'm putting this thing on the dinner table. It's made of cheap plastic. You know, there are black flakes in the water. So I ended up grabbing a glass wine decanter and started pouring the water out of the Brita into the decanter. And as I did, the lid of the Brita fell off, water splashed all over my floor and almost knocked the decanter onto the ground. And uh, as that happened, my friend walks in and I'm like, why don't they just design something that's beautiful and actually works? And he said, you know, why don't we do it? And I literally quit my job and we, we started the business and that was three years ago. Wow. 
Okay. So a lot of questions uh, about this. One of the things that's interesting to me is, is sort of looking at formative experiences even before high school, like early childhood, um, people in your life who sort of shaped the direction that you ended up going and what ultimately would lead you down this path. What do you mean? Like the people that I guess people and experiences, you know, even pre high school that really were formative in you making the decisions that you did. Hmm. That's a really good question. Well, you know, I guess there are a few things. Number one is, why was I interested in making a difference? Um, and particularly, you know, why did I end up going to a Catholic university and potentially become a Catholic priest? And I think that really comes down to my mom in particular, my family in general. Our family was uh, very much focused on things like volunteer and charity work and um you know, things about giving back. And so that was always just part of my DNA to want to make a difference. And then, you know, growing up in the Bay Area is far from culturally Catholic. Um, and we did go to church and we would pray and celebrate the holidays. Um, but I, I didn't have that kind of traditional, more New England, culturally Catholic experience. Uh, and yet I was very interested in it. And so I think those were the things that were planted uh, in me very early on that made me curious as to like, how can I have an impact and, and how does my faith play a role in that? So you mentioned that this idea of, of having an impact was in your DNA. Do you think that's something that can be cultivated or learned or you think some people, or you're just born with it? You know, I definitely think it's something that can be cultivated and learned. You know, anyone who has been to a scenario where there's a drastic need for help, whether that's um, you know, a natural disaster here in the States or, or going and seeing some of the issues globally. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to travel a lot. And in particular, a couple of years ago, we went to Ethiopia with Charity Water, which is our charitable partner. And we were able to see what it was like for anyone who lives without access to clean drinking water, you know, walking miles a day to get dirty water, not being able to go to school or make an income, getting sick from this. And I think anyone who sees that type of stuff can't help but be transformed and want to make a difference. So let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about education. Uh, I think what you were told was incredibly unusual that you're here to find a calling, not a job. Uh, because I went to a top tier school and nobody told me that. And I wonder why nobody told me that. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I don't know why they didn't tell you that. Um, maybe because they weren't living their calling. Sure. Um, I, I think the reason why I was told that for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, not only is Boston College a Catholic school, but it comes from the Jesuit tradition, which is a specific order uh, started by uh, Ignatius of Loyola many centuries ago. And one of the key aspects of that tradition is discernment and like really reflecting on your vocation or in other words, why you were put on earth. And so that's really core to the tradition. And, uh, and so it's no surprise that that's something that would be discussed at a, a Jesuit school. And then I think secondly, um, just liberal arts education is something that's so uh, powerful yet undervalued. And so I have many friends who went to schools where they are put onto a track early on, like, you know, freshman year, pick your career, and then we're going to train you technically in that. Mm -hmm. And if you look at uh, education and Western education, like liberal arts education was really valued for so long. And then at one point it became very technical. Um, and, uh, and I just think, you know, if, if one can afford to spend his or her undergraduate years learning how to become a great thinker and learning how to be a, a compassionate and contributing adult, 
then uh, professional schools are where you should hone your craft. Uh, and for some people, maybe they, they go straight into a trade school uh, right out of high school. But in general, um, many people, unfortunately, they actually miss liberal arts education and um, they start getting trapped into a career without really learning how to become a critical thinker or someone who is uh, developed into a leader who can, who can really give back. And so I think just that liberal arts tradition at Boston College and similar schools causes you to ask big questions like, you know, why was I put on this planet? Hmm. So, you know, I went to Berkeley, which you would think I'd walk out of there with a thought process like this. It took me 10 years to come to thinking like this and a lot of exposure to people like you, people like Clay, before I started to really shift my thinking about it. I felt that I was put on a career track very early. It was kind of like you're going to do a couple of things. You're either going to go to business school, law school or med school. And if you don't do that, you'll go get a job at a startup and work your way up the corporate ladder. And my question is why you think there is such a resistance to this question of what is your calling at in higher education? Like, why is it that we don't spend so much time on this? I think number one is that many of the people who are the decision makers at universities, they are uh, rewarded for their professional success. For example, Berkeley, I know, is known for having some of the most noble laureates mm -hmm. uh, out of any university in the entire world. And so that's obviously something to be applauded. But if that's the goal, how do you get a Nobel Prize? You spend a lot of time in a lab or you spend a lot of time writing. And so academics are going to try and get young people to become academics, um, whether that's you know literally working in academy as a professor or researcher or doing something very similar and technical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Unless you go to a creative university, you're not going to be on a creative track because the people who run it are typically not creatives. They're more uh, technical or they're more uh, category specific. And uh, so I think that's the first thing. The second thing is I, I just think culturally – um, like what's valued and, um, you know, to say I'm a critical thinker to say, you know, I'm someone who uh, is very compassionate. That's not held up in our society. You know, what's held up is, is success that can be measured. Mm -hmm. And, uh, coincidentally, uh, a lot of the, the people who are most successful or most impactful actually have these crazy windy, uh, trails. You know, there's someone who actually wouldn't do well in school. Like you look at Richard Branson, and he has dyslexia, you know, he wouldn't be considered successful in the academy, but he's obviously been successful in other ways. Um, or if you look at someone like Reid Hoffman, I believe he studied philosophy as an undergraduate, but became really great in business. So if he got tracked into business, you know, maybe he would have just been an accountant or, or something without being a really impactful entrepreneur. So I think it's our cultural values. And then the last thing I would say is fear. You know, what's safer? If you want to follow a track where someone tells you, go and do steps A, B, and C because D is where success lies, or if you just throw that out and follow your heart and, and do things that um, don't seem quite as predictable. Uh, obviously, the first one seems less risky, but in our economy where those who uh, follow the path and are loyal to their companies and then the companies go under or they pull out uh, different benefits or they lay people off, um, I actually think that the, the less risky thing that you can do is to just follow your heart and find your calling. If you're doing your calling, you can never not be successful. Hmm. How do you deal with the fear? It's a good question. So in, in my uh, career, I definitely uh, have run into a lot of things that would look like not success. So for example, um, after I graduated uh, from Yale, I was, I think, like 25 or so, 26, 
and uh, I had no money and it was the recession and I had to move back, uh, live with my family, work three jobs. I was, you know, pushing gurneys at the hospital and, you know, bartending on the weekends and, and working these really uh, tough jobs while also working a nonprofit full time. Doesn't look successful, uh, and it's, it's really hard. And, and at time, it can be scary. But again, I think you just have to trust that if you're doing your calling, you will be rewarded because you're doing good. You're doing good and loyal work. So um, I would say that. And then the second is um, to know that basically, uh, fear is worry only about the future or the past. By definition, there's no fear in the present. So if if you really hone your mind through meditation or whatever practice you choose to stay in the present, there's actually nothing to fear in the present. Hmm. So let me ask you this. What did you learn about uh, the jobs that you're doing now from all those really hard jobs, like working at a bar and uh, pushing gurneys? Like what kinds of lessons did you bring from those into what you do now? Well, number one is humble, hard work. You know, I had a, a slew of crappy jobs, uh, in a growing up. And, and by the way, when I say crappy, I'm, I'm super thankful for them, uh, cause they gave me money and instruction, but they were crappy by definition, <laughs> stuff like landscaping. And, um, you know, I, I was a janitor in high school. Like I would go to this office and clean the office and clean toilets. And, uh, we had a family friend who was nice enough to give me uh, side jobs, but it was like painting his house and pulling weeds and lawn, you know, mowing the neighbor's lawn and, all of these jobs, um, you got to be humble, first of all, uh, or anyone who's worked in the service uh, business uh, where you're like waiting tables, um, you know, people are rude to you. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really good to learn humility and also learn to honor people regardless of where they are. You don't know, you know, the person who's, who's uh, serving you, he, he, he or she may be just paying their way through college and they may be the next Nobel Prize winner. Um, so I think that's one thing. And then just hard work. You know, I think there's a value in hard work. Starting Soma, um, you know, initially it was seven days a week nonstop. And uh, when you build in that uh, toughness and you know that you can work uh, every day, you know, from 7 a.m. until midnight and do it over and over and over for a long duration of time, that's like almost like an athlete who has been training his or her muscles to be stronger than the common person. And I think you really need that strength in any venture. Mm. Well, Let's do this. Let's um, shift gears a little bit and let's start talking about some of the early, you know, entrepreneurial experiences you had. One of the things I, I'm really curious about is what it's like to be employee number one at a startup. And I want to talk about what it is that enables that kind of progress and accelerated growth. Like, what does it take mentally? What does it take tactically? And how does something like that happen? Yeah, so uh, I wasn't the first employee, but I was one of the first employees at Branch Out. And it was an interesting case for that business in particular because um, there was a team that was running a, another company, um, a small team, basically the founder, um, some engineers, and I believe one designer. And, uh, and then they got the idea for Branch Out and they pivoted. And then they, um, they started hiring other people, myself included. And uh, so it was, it was a very interesting ride because uh, the way I look at it when I look back is I picture our offices. And the first office was essentially like a one-room office. And then the second one was a little bigger and a little bit cooler and it had like you know maybe one or two conference rooms. And then the, the third office was just really big, you know, tons of conference rooms, big kitchen. And so I think um, it's kind of interesting to think about 
starting from humble beginnings and growing largely. Um, what I would say about being a, an early employee is you have to really know exactly what you want to get out of it. Uh, Reed Hoffman wrote a great book, and uh, it's called The Alliance, and he talks about tours of duty, and that's essentially where uh, the employee and the employer are very clear with one another on what they want to get out of their um, experiences mm-hmm. for a certain duration of time. You know, I, I worked for Branch Out for a year and a half. I think millennials typically do a lot of these two, potentially four-year stints. And so I was really clear. There were three things that I wanted to get out of it. Number one is I want to learn how to become a better CEO by being the right-hand man of an awesome CEO. In this case, Rick Marini, who's a serial entrepreneur and really just incredible guy. Uh, Number two is I wanted to build out my network of investors because I knew I was going to start another company and I needed them to fund it. And then number three is I wanted to build my reputation for getting results. And so uh, that was part of all the PR that we drew, the partnerships, acquiring all of these users. I knew I wanted to leave this experience um, with some milestones that I could say, hey, these were things that I had helped do in the past and, um, and that I will do in my future companies. Um, so I, I would just say being super clear. And, uh, and then related to that is also optimize for learning, especially if you're in your 20s. Don't get too hung up on things like um, you know, your base salary. Like If you can learn and build a reputation for excellence, that's going to pay dividends over anything regarding uh, salary that you would be getting in your 20s. Mm. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you think that there are certain characteristics that keep people from reaching these kinds of goals? Yeah, absolutely. I think fear is the, the biggest one. Um, you know, there's people only settle because they believe they can't get something better. And so you have to ask yourself, where is that fear coming from? And reflecting on some of the questions that I mentioned earlier, like, you know, what am I best at or what do I love? Typically, the things that you love doing, you end up becoming really good at them because they feel natural to you. Um, also, thinking about contribution to others. You know, we're so focused on our own success, but typically people are most successful uh, when it has to do with, with either giving back or, or building others up. Um, so that would be another thing that I would recommend for those who are you know, feeling intimidated. If, if you're feeling bad about yourself, the first thing that you should do is actually think about how you can go and help someone else and that'll get you out of that funk. Hmm. Well, speaking of a funk, uh, I'm curious in your own journey, have there been any sort of rock bottom, you know, dark night of the soul moments? <laughs> yeah, plenty of them. I mean, um, you know, I mentioned when I was running my, my nonprofit, it was 2008, it was uh, the recession, um, we had no money. I went 16 months without a salary. Wow. And there were just so many times where uh, I was just questioning, you know, should I just go get a job? Should I, should I go find something else? Um, but I really went back to that question, what do I feel called to do? And I, I you know, whether, and by the way, a, a calling could be, you're called to do it because it's what the world needs. That's usually always part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it also could be like what you need to learn to have a greater impact in the world in the future. And I think running Sparkseed for me had a great impact on the world and uh, it was an important stepping stone and part of my own learning curve. Um, but the, so that, you know, that was definitely challenging. Uh, starting Soma, you know, originally it was no salary. We were fortunate to raise some funding, but anytime you're dealing with a product, if you haven't seen our products, just Google Soma water filter and you'll see what I'm talking about. But we make these really beautiful um, products and anytime, anytime with manufacturing, you're gonna have issues. Uh, you know, materials arrive late, the manufacturer uh, makes a mistake, uh, product gets shipped to the wrong customer, whatever it is. 
um, you run into obviously a lot of these uh, challenges. Um, so the, you know, those things are always tough. Um, but I, I think going back to, you know, the faith in what I'm doing is my calling and therefore not only, uh, is it good for the world, but it's good for me and having a core belief that you are truly taken care of no matter what happens allows you when you get into, uh, any challenges to just have the perspective to realize that it's going to go away. Mm. Okay. So I think you have brought up a question that I have wrestled with a lot over the last year or two. Uh, in which I've seen sort of epic highs and epic lows uh, with everything that I've done. And it's this tension of, should I follow this calling or should I just go get a job? Um, I, I think that is a question that we all wrestle with at some point or another. I have a friend right now who is building an electronic cigarette company that makes e-liquids, and he's wrestling with that tension as well. Uh, and also very possibly seeing the end of the line. And the question I have is how you start to cultivate the level of belief that allows you to keep going and not give in to what is effectively plan B? Hmm. Well, I think first of all, I can really relate with what you're talking about of having these extreme highs and lows and how during the lows you start questioning. In reality, that probably isn't the best way for us to think about, you know, calling Mm -hmm. Um, because it's just a perspective. Like, so if you believe that calling is something that is true um, and that it is absolute during a certain specific time period, then whether you're looking from above or looking from below, it's true. So it, it doesn't change based off of your relative pos- position. So I would just say, you know, there's this um, oscillation between confidence and fear. And, um, and fear can basically... Um, really mess up your vision on what's true or not. So, you know, trying to be objective and and focusing on what's true and good in life as opposed to, um, you know, in this moment, this is really painful, so I got to get out of here. That's uh, It's easier said than done, but it's really, really important. I have a friend who says making a decision while um, fearful is like making a decision while drunk. You just can't do it. You know, it completely messes with your decision-making abilities. So you want to move uh, from fear to love and be in a position where you're, you're making decisions based on love, contribution to others, um, or things that are true and good. Um, so that would be my first thing. Um, the second thing, though, you asked you know, about belief and, and faith and, and making sure you have the fortitude to move on. There's an exercise that, um, that I found super valuable. And uh, what it is is that each day, preferably in the morning, you just sit with your eyes closed and you ask two questions. And, and I'll tell you my two questions and anyone listening can modify them as they see fit. But the first question I ask is, God, what do you want me to know? And I just listen. And then the second question I ask is, God, what do you want me to do? And I listen again. And usually there's a word or a phrase that follows each of those. And I write them in a journal and I reflect on them. And usually uh, that gives me a lot of, you know, energy and inspiration for the day. And regardless of, you know, what your beliefs are and if you think that it's, you know, a God answering that question or your conscience or whatever it is, it's fascinating to look at the trends that you see. Mm -hmm. If you do it for 30 days straight and you keep hearing the same thing over and over, it's really, really amazing. And, and you know, it's not going to say like, you know, 
God, what do you want me to do? It's not going to say like, uh, you know, finish your investor deck and call <laughs> Joe. It's going to say something like, you know, work hard or give yourself a break or, you know, love people or support people. At least that's been my experience. Uh, and then, you know, what do you want me to know? These are really, really profound things. And, uh, and when you see this trend of like, you know, for example, there was a time in my life where it was like, it was just like, relax, slow down, chill out. You know, it, it helped me prevent getting burnt out. Um, or other times it's like, you know, build people up. And, and then that's more about developing a team and supporting people or having an impact around the world. And uh, so I highly recommend for anyone who's in a discerning phase at all to just try each day, not only asking those questions, but journal, like write just those key words down and then reflect on the trends that you see. Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I completely agree with that comment about uh, making decisions out of fear versus making decisions out of love and contribution. Because anytime I've made decisions out of fear, the consequences have been just debacles. Mike, you're still there? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. And I completely agree. It's like I said earlier, making a decision based out of fear is just, uh, it never leads to uh, the right thing. So, you know, it's funny, you know, it, I was just about to ask a question about faith and religion and God, right when you brought up those two questions. And the question was going to be how that perspective that you got from, you know, going to divinity school has shaped and influenced things you do and, and how you see the world. Yeah, well, so uh, what I would say about that is that um, I feel really fortunate because I've been able to get a lot of different inputs on my faith. So, as I mentioned, I grew up Catholic. Uh, went to a, a parish here outside of San Francisco, had a really great uh, family that planted the right seeds. And I would say uh, our, our faith was very private. And so while it was something where we would you know, pray independently or go to church or celebrate holidays, it wasn't something that was like very vocal. Um, and probably most of my friends didn't really know about it when I was, say, for example, in high school. Um, when I went to undergraduate, it was a Catholic university, so it was very explicit. And, uh, and I got to meet all these amazing people that were, um, you know, spending their whole lives contributing to the world and, and doing it based off of their faith. And I got a lot of, I studied theology, I read a lot, uh, I got to learn a lot, um, primarily about Christianity at that phase, but a little bit about different um, traditions. And then uh, after uh, college, I spent a lot of time traveling. So I've been to like almost 35 countries, I think now, and I uh, spent a lot of time also in um, Southeast Asia and India and Nepal, um, and uh, learned about different traditions. Very helpful for me. And uh, and then I also um, got into a, a specific type of meditation called Vipassana, which was started by a, a leader um, from uh, Burma, actually. And um, and so that's where I really picked up my meditative practice. So I'm I'm a practicing Christian, and that's the tradition that uh, resonates most strongly with me. Um, and uh, I've been able to uh, really focus on things like intuition um, to guide me in life. And, um, and so a lot of my leadership and the decision-making I do, it's a lot more about listening than calculating. And, um, and that, that is a benefit not only of my you know, formal study at places like uh, Yale Divinity School, but, uh, but also just you know, my travels and, and learning from people of a variety of traditions and just being humble and, and trying to listen. Hmm. So <clears throat> let's talk specifically about Soma. One of the things that intrigues me is 
that you seem to be very keen on a eureka moment. Like you recognized it when it happened and you did something about it. And I've asked this probably a hundred times at this point in some form or another. I'm interested in why you think people miss those moments and if those kinds of moments can be engineered or brought about. Hmm, that's a good question. Well, about the time that I uh, got the idea for Soma, I, I was itching to start something new. And I remember I talked to some friends who were doing a very scientific way. You know, they were looking at markets and, and they were looking at technologies and seeing what was funded by VCs. Um, you know, I have other friends who have these uh, journals where they're every day they write down a different business idea. And I, I think for me, I, I am a big believer in, in clarity through discernment. And there are really four things that I knew I wanted around the time that we got the idea for Soma. So number one is uh, I wanted to um, start a company that could have a massive impact on the world. So there's 750 million people around the world that do not have access to clean drinking water. And um, 75% of all Americans are chronically dehydrated, meaning they're not drinking enough water, which means uh, there are issues with obesity, diabetes, um, skin and hair quality, uh, immunity, all sorts of diseases. And so, um, so you know, that was, that was a, a big problem. So I want to have an impact. Number two was I wanted to uh, drive value for everyone involved in the company, whether it's our teammates or uh, investors. I wanted to have a, a good financial outcome. Number three was I wanted to build a really iconic and, and moving brand. And number four was I just wanted to have fun. You know, I didn't know exactly what we were going to do, but I, I knew I was going to, you know, commit 10 or so years of my life to the next company. So I want to have a blast. And so, um, so that's, that's really like all the clarity I had at that time. And I had a lot of conversations, which is helpful. Um, but it was more intuitive. It was waiting, listening, um, for that loud voice. I had a lot of really bad ideas, uh -huh. um, at the time, but I, I think, you know, when you get that one moment, um, and I don't, I don't think you can actually, um, you know, uh, force it, uh, you could, you can kind of set things up ideally to create an environment where it could flourish. But I think it's really more asking the questions and listening deep down, um, and getting that idea. And for us, you know, it's not like we did analysis on market size or anything like that. It's just the idea came and then we decided how to make the idea great. You know, it's not like the idea for a better water filter was initially great. It was, it was somewhat interesting, but we started to develop it into something that really could be fantastic. So one of the things that you said was that really you're about finding clarity through discernment. And then you've mentioned those four things. And I'm really interested in how we find clarity through discernment in our own lives. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I, I think that um, there's a relationship between our deepest desires and uh, what God wants for us in our lives. And so, you know, um, each of us are really drawn strongly to certain things. And, um, and if you just keep asking why, you can usually get to the real thing you like. So, you know, people have hobbies and uh, they may be really into, um, you know, food. And it's like, well, okay, a lot of people food, like food. What do you like specifically about food? Why well, I, I really love um, the process. Like how does food get to our plate? And okay, well, why do you like that? Well, I just think it's really fascinating that nature, you know, provides us. It just pops up and then, then we get it and it's, it's incredible. And it's like, well, why is that really, you know, interesting to you? Because 
you know, I see nature d- dissolving in front of our eyes and we're getting less and less space devoted to nature. And, and I just think that we have this gift that uh, is literally popping out of the ground and we need to protect it. And it's like that, that kind of soul searching process of looking at what you're drawn to and then really understanding why you're drawn to it at the core. Once you get to that kernel from there, you can start seeing, um, you know, where you can actually put your passion. Do you think people misread that ever and end up in places they don't want to necessarily go to? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure I, I'm sure I have uh, many times. That's also why, you know, there's kind of this nexus between, um, you know, what, what you feel uh, called to and then that uh, spectrum we discussed regarding um, like confidence and fear mm-hmm. because it's really easy to justify any decision we make. And, um, you know, we've all made bad decisions and we, when we look back at it, um, it may have had a positive intention, but we're seeing it through, um, the lens of something like fear or, um, ego or whatever it is. So as long as you're very aware of, of where you are on that spectrum and you're doing it in a good place, you know, usually, uh, making very emotional decisions, uh, I haven't found is very helpful. Emotion or desire can kind of like get you to the meeting place. But if you spend a little time, you know, in silence and maybe with the advice of friends and mentors and giving it some time and not rushing into things, you can see it with a clearer mind. And then it might only be a few degrees off from where you started is the right thing. Um, but certainly there's a, there's a huge risk in, in making the wrong decision because you're basically looking at it uh, either from the wrong vantage point or through the wrong lens. Hmm. So uh, I want to ask you one last question before we start wrapping things up. Uh, you've kind of been exposed to a wide variety of people who have accumulated a lot of wealth, it seems like. And you, know, you said at the beginning that one of the things you wanted to do was make a lot of money. So I'm kind of interested in hearing, and I've, I've asked this question to a handful of people. I asked it to Tim Ferriss and I asked it to Nolan Bushnell. I'm interested in hearing your perspectives on wealth now that you've gone through this journey that you've gone through and how different it is from where you started out when you were in high school. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, if you're desiring wealth, it's helpful to ask why. So the reason why I wanted to have money when I was younger is uh, because when I was 12 years old, my father passed away. And on that day, I heard a voice in the back of my head and it said, you're the man of the house now and you need to take care of your mom and your sister. And as a 12-year-old, I didn't really know how to take care of my mom or my sister, but I, I assumed if I had a lot of money, that could buy me answers. And so all of that initial desire to make money um, was based off of, of fear and intimidation. And, uh, and that's not a good place to be. Later on in my life, um, you know, I desired money uh, for things like status or uh, fear. Like I, I had this irrational fear like, oh man, if I don't make enough money, you know, one day I won't be able to provide for my family or I'm going to be on the streets or something like that. And, uh, and that's just not true. You know, I have such an incredible network of family and friends. I don't think I would ever be uh, out on the streets. Uh, and I now, of course, have the confidence having done a variety of things, knowing that I'm always marketable and that I could find a job. Even if it's not running a company, I could probably find a company that would hire me. So once I had a, uh, an understanding that I'm always taken care of regardless of, of where I'm at and taking care of uh, doesn't require a lot of money, 
that really uh, took away all attachment personally um, to wealth. Now, um, you know, do I think that I, I will have plenty of money in my life? Yes. Uh, do I think that money is necessarily a bad thing? No. Um, but do I also think that rich people are happier than, than non-rich people? Absolutely not. In fact, uh, it may be the exact opposite. So I actually think that like a desire to be wealthy um, usually is a symptom of, of someone f- being a bit out of alignment. Like a lot of people may either have the fears that I had or have a sense of I need to prove myself. And those are, those are toxic. And so um, more important than trying to fill those desires by making the money, it's probably better to just do a little work on oneself uh, to get rid of those, those evil uh, roots, which could be, could be causing that. Hmm. Uh, well, Mike, this has been really interesting. So I'm going to wrap with my last question, which is how we close all our interviews uh, at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? Yeah. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Mm. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I was sharing earlier that I uh, heard the interview recently of El Luna that you did, which was an incredible interview. And when you're talking about someone who's unmistakable, an unmistakable creative, she is one. And when you're talking about calling her story is incredible. If, if there's anyone listening who hasn't heard this interview, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. And, um, and so why is she unmistakable? Because she's uniquely her. Like she is uniquely El Luna and there's only one El Luna and, um, and there's only one of you. There's only one of me. And so the people who are unmistakable are the ones who actually have the courage to be who they were put on earth to be. And the people that seem to just kind of blend in or maybe feel unfulfilled are the ones who are trying to be someone else. And so I think the key to being unmistakable and more importantly, fulfilled and impactful is simply to realize that your only goal in life is to become the person that God put you on earth to become. Wow. Well, I think that makes a a really beautiful way to sum up our conversation. This has been really, really eye-opening and thought-provoking and uh, one of those conversations for me that I'll have to go back and play a lot of times just because you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for inviting me on. It's been a blast. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in-person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. 
the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.